Welcome everybody to the Diecast Movie Podcast. For this episode, we have a special interview brought to you by my dad. Take it away, Dad. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Diecast Movie Podcast. This is Steve again. And just before we get to my interview of Daniel Roebuck, I just want to tell everybody I had a wonderful time at Monster Bash. Getting to meet some of the people who I interviewed prior is wonderful. Getting to meet some listeners that were out there that, of the show was even more precious to me. They get feedback from people that seem to be liking what we're doing on Diecast Movie Podcast. So it was great to hear from all those people I met at Monster Bash. This episode was delayed by two days for two reasons. One reason was because when I got back from when I had Monster Bash, I was planning on editing it. When I got back, I was very tired and decided to give myself an extra day to edit it. Then I decided I had to wait one more day because of wonderful news that I can announce to you, which because it'll be announced on Facebook the same day. Daniel Roebuck will be coming to June's Monster Bash, June 16th to the 18th. When I was interviewing Mr. Roebuck, Ron asked me to ask him if he'd be willing to come to Monster Bash, and he said yes. And then, of course, he and Ron had to finalize all the, you know, inter- all the working out, that kind of stuff of everything. But I couldn't say anything to anybody till now. Ron told me it's official. He's going to be making the announcement on today. So for those that are going to the June Monster Bash, besides all the people that Ron's put out a couple days ago about who's coming, you can add Daniel Roebuck to the list. I've met him. I've talked to him. He's a wonderful person. You guys will have a great time with him. He's very entertaining, very friendly, very nice. And he's a true 100% monster kid who loves this stuff just as much as you do for those people that go to Monster Bash. All right. Otherwise, we're going to go into the interview with Mr. Roebuck. So um, just to start off the interview, we're going to listen to the promo for The Monsters, his current movie that's available on Netflix. I enjoyed it, as you heard, with Jeff Owens and I talking about it on our last episode. So we both recommend that you watch the movie. But right now, let's move on to the promo. I mean, and then the interview. love story ever told. Oh, I, I don't like the sound of that. Think of it. The brain of a super genius transplanted into the body of a perfect physical specimen. <laughs> I want a man that makes my blood run cold. A man that every time he enters my crypt, it's like a stake through my dead black I can whip the upper humpy down in the lab. Oh, no. Remember what happened last time? He was battered. I'm gonna go. Okay. I'm looking for a vision. A queen. True love. And what exactly do you want? Is Herman Munster in there? Uh-huh. I knew the moment I laid eyes on you that you were special. I understand if you don't feel the same. I'm just a regular gal living a boring, normal life. If there's one thing I know, is that the rest of the world melted away as soon as you appeared in my life. It seems Miss Lily is truly in love. Oh, come on, you know and I know that we gotta get rid of that bozo Herman Munster. Transylvania. That's a strange way of saying hello. Oh, I guess we're gonna have to get used to it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to an episode of Diecast Movie Podcast, a 
Today we're doing an interview. I'm going to be joined with Daniel Roebuck. Most of you know him from a lot of different things, over 250 credits, either Matlock, The Fugitive, Lost, but nowadays most people think of him as the Count from the Munsters. How are you doing today, Mr. Roebuck? Yeah, good. I'm good. Yeah, <laughs> it's nice to be here in Halloween season with you, Stephen. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> you and I got to meet each other um, not that long ago at Monster Mania at Hunt Valley. Yeah, yeah, we uh, we do have fun, don't we? You you get around as much as I do. I've been on a uh, six six eight week tour of monster fun, monster collecting, monster loving, monster world. Uh, I've met so many people, including you, uh, and uh, it's really been joyful to hear firsthand how much people love the monsters. And that's the thing that surprises me. So many people dissed the movie before they ever saw the movie, before they even saw a trailer of the movie, you know, and, I, and I'm always amazed how people go to this judge, rusted judgment, all for their little clicks or whatever. But I enjoyed the movie. I had fun with it, and I thought you channeled Al Lewis. Oh, thank you. I I definitely, you know, I've been preparing for, for the role for 55 years, so I better have gotten it right. Um, and I knew Al. Al was a friend. Uh, I knew Fred. Fred and I had worked together. I had, uh, I know, I know Butch Patrick. The, making the Munsters right was so important to Rob Zombie and myself that uh, I just don't think it could have gone wrong. What doesn't intrigue me, brother, is the, uh, you know, I don't, I, I guess I don't really want to spend too much time on the negative, but I will say what I have realized. Uh, most especially with these review situations, is that's exactly what they're doing. They're on on the hard work, the blood, sweat, and tears of others. They are they're glomming onto somebody else's work, and they've found that they can get more click throughs if they say the work is terrible. Uh, I, I'm telling you, you were there with me, Montgomery. People love the movie. People have seen it three, four times. But we were there on Saturday, Friday. People were telling us they had already watched it four times, and it only came out three days earlier. So the the evil uh, of our world that's kind of permeating, I didn't think it would touch our monster world. Like, uh, you've got the podcast, diecast podcast. I collect toys. I didn't think this would, that this would seep into where we are because we're really nostalgists, and uh, we, we don't really cotton that kind of blatant negativity, you know? Oh, I agree. And and th- speaking of nostalgia, the people that watch the movie, it's all over the place in there. It's not just um, the monsters from the TV show, but you got clips from old Universal monster movies and everything else interwoven in a nice little, I mean, I rewatched it a second time, and the second time you were able to pick up more of the uh, the, beh- the stuff in the scenery. Yeah, I mean, Rob Zombie has literally made the movie for monster kids. No one else has pulled it off. You know, uh, the the other attempts, you know, because, like, uh, they weren't uni- monster squad, but not universal monsters. Others have made these movies, but they're not universal monsters. Rob Zombie literally put me in a movie with Abbott and Costello, Ben Chapman, Richard Carlson, and uh, Julie Adams, like the come on, that's amazing. It's amazing, and and you can tell how much he loves it. So I don't know why the monster kids hate it, because if they just watched it, they'd realize it's filled with Easter eggs for them. It's like Christmas morning, Easter morning for kids who like monsters. Again, that's I think Rob's you know kind of visionary thinking. He, he knew that he could make it the perfect monster kid show, but it was very difficult. You know, you're, you're, you're dealing with a lot of intellectual property and, and folding it all into the same batter is not easy. I know that because I, you know, I had to jump in and help with a few matters, one matter in particular. Um, but we got it done. We got her done. And, and the thing is, is not only did you get it done, the cast – I was, 
I knew about you. I knew about Jeff Daniel Phillips. I knew about Sherry Moon Zombie. You know, I knew those are the ones you knew because you see him in the trailer. And I knew that Butch Patrick had a voiceover and Pat Pierce had a voiceover. I was so surprised, pleasantly surprised to see Sylvester McCoy. Oh, yeah. He's, yeah. And that's, again, that's Rob's kind of genius for that stuff. Like, who else would put Doctor Who, like, in the Munsters? You know, Sylvester's a terrific actor, silly, funny, joyful. You know, going to the set with him and Catherine Schell, who plays Zoya Krupp, uh, you know, Catherine, you know, could just sit and tell you Pink Panther stories. I'd take these people out to dinner just to hear their stories. Uh, it was just great having Cassandra Peterson there with us for a while and Jorge Garcia and, of course, Richard Brake. It's just all great, joyful fun. Oh, it is. And I just thought it was, it was kind of ironic because Sylvester McCoy was in uh, a Dracula movie with Frank Langella, and here he is again in another movie with the Dracula. Now, I don't remember that. Who did he play in that one? He played... Um, I'm trying to remember the role, but it was it was one of the uh, underlings. Did he work at, in Dr. Seward's Asylum? No, he was... Now, now I'll mean, look it up. Uh, we'll have to look it up. No, I interviewed I interviewed Sylvester McCoy, and I remember him and I talking about Dracula, and he was talking about how... Um, wasn't it Lawrence Olivier was in it, too, as Van Helsing? Yeah. They were both yeah. coming into a room together, and um, there one was upstaging the other. And uh, that kind uh, of thing. <laughs> that, 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 I, yeah, I need to, uh, I need to, I actually enjoy that. That's a John Badham movie. And I saw Langella do it on stage. Uh, I was a very lucky kid. My mom would take me to Broadway sometimes. So I saw Langella do it. It was fantastic. Uh, you know, I remember at one point in the thing, uh, he turns around and there's, a, uh, I think, a mayor across the stage. Like in the, it was at the Martin Beck, I think. So a fairly, you know, fairly wide uh, Broadway stage for senior. And Langella turned around and threw a candlestick and hit that mirror right in the middle of it. Uh, and I always thought that that's, you know, some great, uh, uh, you know, some great sportsman-like handling of a candlestick for an actor playing Dracula. And I'm Dracula now. Dude, imagine that. I'm Count Dracula in a Universal Studios movie. It blows my mind. I know. It's it's like you you know, like you said, you prepare for that role fifty five years. I know I think you played Dracula as a like, like in a clown version when you were a lad. I did as a as a wee lad. As a wee lad. Clown <laughs> circus and the clown's name was the Count. I mean, come on. When Rob said, oh, you know, he asked me to do the part. And he said, by the way, the char character's not Grandpa, because you'll see in the script there's no Eddie. So he's written in the script as the Count. And, uh, like, it took a moment to realize how good God is, how everything comes full circle, how truly a person prepares their whole life for something to be ready for it. And, and like I said, you, you getting to know Al Lewis and being a friend to him, you're able to put those mannerisms in. And I loved it how you made your entrance into the movie. I mean, you know, oh yeah, I was so afraid that might be cut because that's like the great Dracula entrance and then turning it into a joke. Um, yeah, I I loved that. I was so thrilled with that. Thrilled. How much of it did you get to put in? Um, to your character and how much of it was it in the script? I mean, how much did um, Rob Zombie allow you to um, put into the character to count? Well, Rob is uh, very, he's an actor's director. What that really means when an actor says it, it means he's a director who doesn't fiddle, fiddle with you too much. He lets you kind of create. And uh, Rob, Rob's always been great because I am the court jester. I can make him laugh. Even, even when they're shoving the ax in my chest, I still figure out a way to make him laugh, you know, in between shots. In this, so much of it was on the page, and so much of it was, you know, created for me 60, 50 years ago, 60 years ago. So all I had to do was kind of pay attention. And, you know, having known Al, just kind of, you know, in Al 
people think Al was small. He wasn't. He was big. He was six foot one, two hundred twenty pounds. He's a big guy. I'm a big guy. Like we're the, I put on his I I put on one of his tuxedos from Bunch of Go Home and it fit like a glove. So just you know, I, I just I, I had every God made sure he put every piece of information in front of me that I would one day need to, you know, be able to pull this off at fifty nine years old. Oh, and, and pulled it off you did. And for listeners wondering, the episode prior to this one, um, a friend of mine from the Classic Cars Movie Podcast, we both discussed the monsters. So, uh, so people want to go more of my feelings and his and, and Jeff Owens' feelings. Listen to the episode prior, and we both really enjoyed the movie. Oh, that's so great! Yeah, I don't know how a monster kid could not. <coughs> I think, excuse me, as a as a. We've been going nonstop for a month at this point, and I'm a little drained down, so I'm coughing. I apologize. Um, uh, I'm, yeah, I look. Uh, people, there's I don't know. I, they they just hate Rob Zombie. Why? Because he gets to do everything they want to do. I don't know. Because he's married to a beautiful woman. I don't know. Who's who's a delightful human being and one of the hardest working actresses I've ever met in my entire life. And they, you know, it's easy to take your shot and say bad things. But the fact is, you know, if it was God's will that I ended up in the Munsters, it was also his will that she and Jeff ended up in the Munsters. So, and do do we think that does God really worry about those things, these things? Well, maybe he has to take time, you know, just like the rest of us. Instead of when you're paying your bills, don't you think, oh, maybe I'll just look on eBay for two minutes and do something I like doing, even <laughs> There's this other thing I'm trying to uh, avoid at World War, but you know, let's make sure the monsters is what I want it to be. What can you say? Things happen for a reason. It happened. Yes. And I enjoy it. And I, and I got what Rob Zombie was, was doing. And, and like every movie that goes out there, I think you and I said this, not everybody's going to love every movie. That's just the way it's always going to be, but at least watch the movie before you judge a movie. Yeah. And and really watch it with an. I mean, it, here's the bottom line, dude. You're going to see the monsters every Halloween for the rest of your life. So all these naysayers and haters will, ten years from now, their opinion. No one's really going to care about what they think. I, you know, I don't, I, I don't care what they think now. But um, the monsters will be around. You know, there's other stuff that got panned when it came out. If I remember correctly. <clears throat> it'd be interesting to see. I don't think people liked Nightmare Before Christmas when it came out. I may be wrong about that, but uh, I seem to remember that a lot of the critics didn't get it. And of course, we didn't have the internet. But look, Nightmare Before Christmas is as, as part of our American Halloween and, and Christmas culture as a Santa Claus, as a Grinch. Oh yeah, and also like when Michael Keaton was going to play Batman, people didn't want thought that was crazy because he was Mister Mom, and now people love Michael Keaton as Batman and all that stuff. So it's just it's all yeah, right. And now the player, you know, he puts the Batman back on. He's in the Flash, right? Is that what he's in? Yeah, he's supposed he's to be Batman. Yeah. So you know, he got to do it again. So uh, yeah, Rob said years ago. He said people hate my films when they come out, and they love them ten years later. So. Again, it doesn't matter. The people who the monsters was made for, ninety-five percent of them love it, and the other five percent miss the point. I will ask you one more last thing about the monsters: is yeah. is there a possibility of a sequel? Well, wouldn't that be great? It's not been discussed at any point, but you know, actors—that's the actor's dream—is to go back into something. And there's, that's always so much fun. Like we do it every week in series television. Uh, but, you know, when we got to go do U.S. Marshals after The Fugitive and we made The Fugitive, we never thought we'd be playing those characters again or Agent Cody Banks or any movie that I've been that there's been a sequel. I just, it, it's joyful when that works out. So maybe, I hope so. Wouldn't that be great? I think so. I, I definitely want it to, I definitely want it to happen. And yeah, that's, that's two of us, Steve. 
And I think there's a lot more people out there that do. But it's um, one of the things I'm curious, what led you to go into acting? What, what, what got you started down that path? Well, it's, you know, I'll, I'll give you the, in a nutshell, and the key word here is nut. I'm a nut. <laughs> uh, as a child, I've always been creating. In first grade, I wrote my first play, which is impossible because in first grade, you don't really know how to write. I, and I'm not kidding. You don't even know how to write your name. The nuns back then, that's when they taught you how to read and write. So that I was, you know, consider myself a playwright uh, was vexing, but I did it all with pictures. I My play was written in pictures, and then we performed the pictures. So that was, how, how did some kid at six years old come up with the idea that he could do that? I don't know. I don't know. I credit very much so a nun, just Kathleen, when I brought that, um, when I brought that pile of drawings in, and I said to her, "Hey, sister, I wrote a play." You know what she said? She didn't say, "Sit down." Uh, well, let's talk about that later. She said, "Oh, really? Oh, well, let's put on your play." So I always credit Sister Kathleen with turning me from a kind of a thinker to a real creative person, and I I got her her payback is the lead character in uh, the film I just wrote and directed, uh, The Hail Mary, is named Sister Kathleen. And she's quite quite a hero in the movie. So you, you got to say thank you some way. So I went from that. I was a ventriloquist. I mean, can you imagine I had a ventriloquist all six years old? I, that must have been creepy as all get out. Um, and then I found that I had this gift for mimicry, and I became an impressionist. And although it's not something we hear of a lot now, back in the day, there was that was a huge kind of entertainment. Thanks to Rich Little and Frank Gorchin and that TV show, uh, The Copycats. Do you remember that out of Canada? So I was an impressionist. <clears throat> and then at 13, I walked into a movie version of Give Him Hell Harry, which was a one-man play starring James Whitmore. And... I walked into that theater having been an entertainer and, and by the way, also a clown and also a magician in, in, in those first 12 years and was making money as a clown and making money as a magician. Uh, and then I went and saw Mel Harry and I thought that's, that's it. Now I'm going to be an actor. So I was making money and then I, you know, took this vow of poverty when you, when you decide to become an actor. <laughs> Um, thank God it didn't work out exactly like that. But yeah, that's how I, and then I started doing theater. And and I would say to your listeners, if there's any young people <clears throat> who are listening or older people, because it's never too late, the only difference between me and any other person who had the same dreams I had is I was always proactively moving forward. I never stopped. Uh, and that's, you know, like, Oh, I'm a, in a circus, I'm a clown. And then my mentor clown, Neil Fainel, who's still one of my dearest friends, um, said, you know, why don't you, you like magic, right? Why don't you start performing as a magician? So imagine 12 years old, I'd make $100 a weekend. You know, that's, that's you know, you know, that's like Scarface money to a 12-year-old especially when you go to the comic book store afterwards and you're able to buy anything on the rack. <laughs> anything. And you'd be like, comic books for everybody. <laughs> you know, you'd be that guy. Oh, you would well, have been One time, I have to say this story because I love to get it into the ether. One time, Kevin Burns has passed away. He was the world's biggest Munsters fan, the world's biggest Munsters fan. And he was a dear friend. And he was crazy and funny and ridiculous. And like Nero, I worked for him once and he drove me crazy because he would yell at you and he's crazy. But once we were in a Del Taco or a Taco Bell and uh, I, I said, uh, hey, do you want one of these Choco Tacos? He goes, what's that? And I, I brought him a Choco Taco and he bit into it and he goes, oh my God. He goes, get me two more of these. And then he stood up in the Del Taco and he goes, Taco tacos for everybody. And he bought the whole, everybody in the restaurant, Choco tacos. <laughs> How ridiculous. 
Oh my God. And we were on our way, by the way, to a place called, uh, uh, what was it called? The, the Monster Vault. Uh, Joe Monster, this monster place we would go to in, uh, down by the, the beach. We were all on our way. You know, we we I've been living this this monster kid fantasy life for so long, where I just eat, sleep, and breathe monsters. So crazy. <clears throat> but anyway, we we're talking about acting. Uh, hey, I know we're talking about my acting career, but did you see Neca just just revealed the Count Doll? Yes, I did. I saw it on your Facebook post, and then your and Tammy's Facebook post. Uh, and that looks cool. I mean, I. I Blew up the picture and looked at it. I'm like, whoa! It, it looks just like me. I don't. I honestly don't know how they did it. It, it literally, it's a seven inch doll. So that means it has a one inch head that looks just like noggin. Amazing. And you and I just grew, amazing. And you and I grew up in the day when we were just happy the doll looked somewhat like. <laughs> yeah, it's a dude. It was there. What are my favorite doll? I don't know how old you are. Steve, I can't remember looking at you. You might be in your 50s, later 50s, mid 50s. Um, I'm just I'm five years younger than you. Oh, mid 50s. Okay. So, dude, the Azrak, did, I didn't, the Azrak monsters were the greatest monster toys ever. I don't, like, you know, they now they look exactly like the monsters. You know, our friend at Sideshow did such a good job of kind of like blowing blowing the uh going from just kind of common versions of the faces to on model faces uh and now neck has gone to the next level uh extraordinary work but uh yeah i loved i i loved those old you know the you know the dolls i'm talking about the ahi azrex and essentially look like aurora model kits because they stole the faces it's, it's it's just amazing how you get an artist to do the work and it can just now with the technology and everything for reproduction, how everything just looks so, so photorealistic. Yeah. The painting, everything, it, it's kind of blows me away. blows me away. But it's crazy. Good, it's a good thing. It's a good time to be a monster kid because there's so many things out there now that are coming out. Uh, some priced very affordable, some priced the more in the expensive side, but there's so much variety it's it's amazing. Yeah, when we've got trick or treat studios, this amazing like, you know, it is it is heartbreaking that Don Post Studios does not exist. And and believe me, nobody loved Don Post Mass. Well, I'd say nobody loved them more than I did. But of course, a thousand people loved them more than I did. I love them a lot. Um, but trick or treat studios is doing the great work of putting out so much product. And you know, because I never stopped. And because I'm nutty, you know, I've been working with an artist, Peter Bregman, and we're we're doing some great new products for Rob Zombie. I, I'll let him put them out, but Trick or Treat will we'll distribute them. But we've come up with great retro Rob Zombie products that we're also going to be, uh, we're, we're talking to the Chaneys, and I want to talk to the, the Lagosis, um, all of whom are, I'm blessed that I can call them friends. Uh, but we're going to put out, I'm, I'm going to make monster toys. How about that? Take that Todd McFarlane. Yeah. <laughs> Take that. Yeah. Todd McFarlane. You don't know. Nothing. I mean, Todd McFarlane, those, those, what he put out back in that day, that moment of time was so extraordinary. And I think NECA is absolutely doing that. But even trick or treat studios is putting out dolls now. Great, great 12 inch dolls. You know, I'm, Look, I've had monster toys on my shelf since I was a child so that I will be putting my own monster toy of me on a shelf. You know, I I probably would it'd be best to not have anyone near me because I'm trying to be like, oh, 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 thank you, Jesus, thank you. Hopefully, hopefully you don't develop a, 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 an unhealthy obsession looking at yourself. my god that's what we do but uh yeah no i i try to keep my i'm very lucky that i have a wife who who loves and adores me uh and she is she's the perfect partner because you know she loves loves all that stuff right 
But I'm also blessed with some of the best friends a man could have who take every opportunity to remind me of how pathetic I am. You know, no matter how, no matter how much you highly you think of yourself, you know, your friends will say, you know, I remember I took my one buddy to the set and, you know, a very difficult scene we're done. And he goes, and they pay you for that. So I'm, I've, I've got plenty around me to keep me humble and my children keep me humble. Yeah. My wife and children keep me humble too. Anytime I get a big head, I just got to talk to them and the next, and, and it shrinks back down the normal. <laughs> yeah. They remind you of, of it, you know, they're there, but that's, that's what they do, I guess. Yeah. So, and, and Tammy said that you had seen uh, getting grace. Yes. Yes. Um, getting grace. I saw that yesterday. Um, for the first oh. time so it was so it's fresh watch gee I'm, i didn't even know about it until she told me about it at monster mania and she's like oh you got to watch this film and i did of course you direct it as you know and stuff like that and you filmed most of it up in um, not far from where i'm at you filmed it up mostly in bethlehem pennsylvania right uh, yeah where are you i live in um, um hunt valley maryland area oh you live right there yeah just two and a half hours so we shot it in my hometown, and now that we've got two other movies since then in in that home area, uh, which I'm claiming as you know my Monument Valley, or you know, I said uh, Woody Allen had New York. I have Woody Allen Valley. Mine. It kind of it kind of faded there a little bit, but you're back. <laughs> I'm back. I'm sorry. I was, yes. Anyway, I was just saying. Uh, I, we made three movies in the Lehigh Valley where I'm from. Yeah. And oh yeah, because it's like, um, the Hail Mary and then the lucky Louie or the other two. Correct. Yeah. They'll be out next year. Getting grace. For those that don't know about it, it's pretty much, can you give a brief synopsis so people have an idea what it's about? Yes. Um, uh, Jeff Lewis and I wrote this script. It's about a teenage girl who's who goes into a funeral home to find out what's going to happen after she dies, but she ends up teaching the funeral director how to celebrate life. So it is a very unique animal. It is a life affirming comedy set in the world of death and dying. That's what it's about. And it's like about an hour and 50 minutes, if I remember right. And the first about the first half of the movie, a little more than the first half, it's 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 more the comic elements are in there as it develops all the characters. And then it really grabs at your heart. And uh, it's just, I mean, even though there are some things I knew were coming, you did it so well with you and, oh. um, and Madeline Dundon. Madeline, yeah, she's terrific. I literally pulled this kid out of my high school in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. She'd never been in a movie before. And then I found all these other great kids who had never been in a movie before. And you, you, there's no way. People can see Getting Grace on uh, Amazon Prime. I think it's on Tubi too now, but you know, then there's commercials. So I would, uh, you know, who knows if, how that money trickles down. But I'd say if you have three bucks, watch it on Amazon Prime so it's not interrupted with commercials. It's, it is a lovely... Uh, film. It's had great impact on many people, I am pleased to say. You know, when you're dealing with something like pediatric cancer, you know, you better have a respect for the people who've lived through that horror. Parents and loved ones. You know, some kids do survive, but many do not. Uh, And so our movie is truly a um, it's about it's about how hard it is to be in that situation from every angle. But then all of my movies tend to be about another thing. The sub they're all the subgenre of fatherhood, and uh, you know I think in our society we put a lot of weight and importance on motherhood as well we should. Uh, but having now gone through it with my own kids. Uh, I think fathers get the short shrift. And so my movies are all about these paternal relationships and earning the love of others and 
protecting others and all, you know, getting grace ultimately is about a girl looking for her dad and looking for a dad. So men love it. Men watch it two or three times because uh, I think it's a movie for them. Oh, it's, it's, it's good. And, and I'm not ashamed to admit it's, it's one of those, um, you want to have, you want to have some Kleenex nearby because you're going to be using a few. So it's, uh, <laughs> you'll laugh too. Yeah. You'll laugh. I kind of, it's, I, I, I do play with this, um, uh, as, as a filmmaker, I do work hard. I, I like, like our lives are happy, sad, happy, sad, you know, as a filmmaker, I love to, to, to put a, a desperately sad moment and then make you laugh right afterwards because, you know, it jars you out of the other thing. Just, and everybody who lives through pediatric cancer with their poor kids going through it, they say you spend a lot of time laughing because it's so ridiculous. If you couldn't laugh, you'd kill yourself. That's what the very words that, that more than one person said to me. And, and that is life, and that's realistic, and that's the that's one of the things I enjoyed about the movie. Now, is that thank the, you. One of the things I got to ask you though, because you directed yourself. So, what was tougher, being Daniel Roebuck the actor working with Daniel Roebuck the director, or Daniel Roebuck the director trying to direct Daniel Roebuck the actor? Well, I'll be honest with you. I had to fire myself uh, in the middle of the movie you know, the actor got really cocky and then the director went in there and set him straight. We were trying to recast, um, but we didn't have time. I'm joking, of course. Um, do you know what's harder? I've, I, I have, <clears throat> I have in an odd, weird way, <clears throat> excuse me, over the course of my career, I have directed myself often. I do it a lot in the theater. Um, because, you know, it turns out I'm not incompetent when it comes to directing theater or anything. And then, you know, sometimes it's easier if I'm the star of the play because then, you know, I'm, I'm known enough that people will come, right? So I've developed that kind of uh, unique, I don't want to call it a talent because I don't want people to think I'm full of myself, but the unique ability, how about that? Directing myself, not hard. Producing and directing and starring <clears throat> that's the hard part because you know you're you're walking in to do an extraordinarily emotional scene, and you know somebody tells you the you know lunch, the lunch people went to the wrong address. They're an hour and a half away, and you know you're you know like trying to keep everybody happy and motivated is sometimes hard. But I I like directing myself, and it's so funny. We're teaching a class in filmmaking for youth in the Lehigh Valley that I'm trying to develop. And, uh, you know, we've been starting them off with some basic stuff. But, you know, there's Buster Keaton and, and Charlie Chaplin. Buster didn't always do it, but Chaplin usually did. You know, the actors were directing themselves from the very beginning of the thing. Harold Lloyd, I think, did as well. So from the beginning of movie making, actors directed themselves. But I've I, I've been very influenced by Albert Brooks and uh, Woody Allen. Uh, oddly, up until the point when I found out what a despicable human being he is, I can watch any of those movies before that, but I don't watch any of his movies since then. Oddly, but everything before that all came out. I I can watch, and I do watch constantly. So I, you know, directing yourself, it, it's not necessarily hard but you do have to have a pretty good sense and you surround yourself i've got my daughter who directed the second movie with me my wife tammy has a great eye my brother-in-law shot one of the movies uh the first one getting grace you know so i surround myself with people who might say uh, you might want to do another one or you know they help me I'll say definitely after seeing Getting Grace, you, you should keep doing them because I'm looking forward to seeing the next two. And uh, Oh, well, I invite people to go to achannelofpeace.org. That is achannelofpeace.org. And uh, you can see uh, there's a trailer for Lucky Louie. There's kind of a, a great news article about how we shoot in the Lehigh Valley. 
with uh, the next movie, The Hail Mary. So, uh, you know, I'm very blessed. I'm very blessed that we have the support of many people who, and I think for those of us who are nostalgists, getting back to the Munsters, it's a PG movie. You know, we like to watch movies with our family. That was always huge to us. Now we, because I'm a cinephile, like you probably are, we we watch movies from uh, you know the '60s, the '70s, the '50s, the '40s. My kids grew up on black and white TV and movies, so I'm trying to just make movies. Although they have a faith element, I'm trying to make them an entertainment first, entertainment first, and a faith movie second, secondary. Yeah, which is a smart way of doing it because the main thing is if it's entertaining, then people will go and see it and enjoy it. And then if they want to get other things out of it, they can. Um, yes, sir. A hundred percent. And by the way, if this stuff is, and I do a lot of it, you know, I mean, I don't have any problem with it. I, I, I like, you know, you can see like in this interview, I, I'll never talk politics, but I'll always, I'll always talk uh, faith and God. I think it's, I think if, if we don't, People like me don't keep reminding people of a higher power. They're going to start thinking that, you know, they make all the decisions in the world. But the bottom line is, I don't need to entertain the people who are already in the church pews. You know, I'm, I'm, looking, at, I'm looking for the people driving by the church, and I'll, I'll deliver them a faith message, not hidden in a movie. You know, I'm not doing like this woke stuff where they, they just, jam every every new idea in a, in every movie and then nobody goes. Nobody goes. Uh, and they're surprised that nobody goes. I just want to put regular people in regular situations. I'm sorry, regular people in extraordinary situations and find a way to entertain you with those. But people can learn all about it at a channel of peace.org. And, and we need help. You know, we always always look for, you know, partners in filmmaking because it's all done to a not-for-profit. And that's a real not-for-profit. At this point, none of us in the organization at the top pay ourselves because we're trying to get it going. And definitely it's something, like I said, I've seen the first movie. I'm looking forward to it. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk to you about a couple of movies that you already brought up, um, The Fugitive and U.S. Marshals. Yeah, great. Such great. How lucky was I to be in those movies? Oh. I love them. No, so in The Fugitive, was it in the script for you to do the barking, or did you come up with that on your own? Oh, we everything in that movie is ad-libbed. I know the, the writer probably hates that because he got nominated for an Oscar. But we ad-libbed everything except the only line that's written in the script that I deliver is, this is Hinky. Why would he come in here and go past all these guards? That, that exchange about it being hinky was in the script. But, you know, Andy Davis got the actors together and uh, Scotty Caldwell, Joey Pantoliano, Tom Wood, myself, and Tommy Lee. And, and he, he gave us an opportunity to make those people real. And I, I even remember the very first thing we shot was at the train wreck. Like coming up with all that dialogue beforehand we just were, you know, we'd ad lib it, <coughs> and then we'd memorialize it, excuse me, and then we'd film it, and then they'd write it into the script afterwards. So that's kind of how it started from from day one on. We made it our own and made it. And, you know, there's sometimes it's necessary. You have to ad lib because, for instance, another big laugh in the movie that God bless Andy Davis for letting me pull it off. You know, in the script, it said it cut to the green water that was written in the script on St. Patrick's Day. I asked him, you're going to use it? He goes, yeah. So we had to cover that whole, there was like a 35 or 40-foot carter. We had to cover where there was no dialogue written. So I, that thing, if they could die the river green today, why can't they die it through the 165, 365 days a year? How, how should I know Biggs? No, <laughs> I really took How should I know Biggs? You know, all that comes out of a need to fill space, but then, you know, it's joyful. And then in the second movie, what was weird is they tried to write all that stuff, but it was it was hollow. 
again, respectfully, and you know, the guy who wrote the script probably made two hundred times more than I did. So I'm not I'm not insulting his work. I'm just saying it didn't work for us, so we just did the same thing again. We'd get to a situation and we'd come up with lines. I'm a better joke writer, I think, than a couple of the other actors. So Joey Pants, I would always like I'd give him one of the jokes. The other guys weren't jokey, only Joey and I were, so I could come up with a joke. Although Joe, I'm not saying Joey Pantoliano is not funny. Clearly he is. I'm just, I've been writing for a long time, so writing jokes is a little easier. Writing a joke look like it's not a joke. That's the real hard part. That is true. Trying to make it look like it's not forced and it's something that comes out natural is the hardest thing. Exactly right. Now, I saw recently you went back to revisit the train wreck. Oh, God. And you forgot one of the key things that any Boy Scout should know, always go with a buddy. (laughs) Yes. Oh, I'm such an idiot. No, your listeners can follow. Go back on my social media a couple months. Oh, my Lord, Jesus. I don't even. I, I even say it's very dangerous here. And then the very next thing I did was fell 10 feet onto my head. And and if and if nobody, my wife didn't know where I was. You to get in there, it's you know it's closed off. You're not supposed to get in there. So I I had to find a place in a fence and scurry through it. Like nobody would have known where I was. They would have found my car two days later. You know, the, you know who would have found me? Cadaver dogs. That's who would have found. Me. So uh, I was pleased that I survived that. But. Now, always remind people they can just simply go on the Great Smoky Mountain Railroad and they can see it in person if they want to. They don't have to almost die to do it. Or they could just watch your social media post of it and then and not have to wear and, and see yeah, understand not, what not to do. Don't do not do this. <laughs> no, and I, I turned it into a, <clears throat> I turned it into a real, uh, you know, I turned it into a public service announcement, uh, because I kept filming. I didn't go to all that trouble to not film. So uh, you you're free. you guys, be careful when you see it. I'm filming and there's blood running down my face as I'm trying to tell the story of the fugitive. I enjoyed it. I was worried about you, but obviously I knew if you're posting it, it, it turned out all right in the end. <laughs> yes. Turned out all right in the end, but a good a lesson to learn. You're right. Were you, were you a scout? I was, I was never a scout growing up, but I was a scout leader. So I was a den leader for both my boys and then a assistant scout master and for and a little while for a scout master. Oh, how great. Thanks for your service there. I'm, uh, you know, I, uh, I'm going to uh, a great, uh, the, the Hollywood haunted house in uh, North Carolina on Sunday and start, start Jones, uh, the big, uh, he's big in scouts. I, I'm very impressed when I meet boys who are scouts. Uh, my son never made it to Eagle because uh, there was that point where he was doing so well in football that, you know, he had to choose and he had to choose. He chose, he chose what he chose. But when I meet kids who made Eagle, I'm always so impressed with them. My oldest son made was life rank. He didn't, he didn't make it to Eagle. He didn't really have a desire to do it. He was just enjoying the trips. And I said, I never pushed him. It's like, hey, I'm not going to force you to do it. It's up to you. And my second son, he got Eagle. And one of his motivations was because his older brother didn't do it. So he wanted to <laughs> finish it. <laughs> right. So, so my dad always talks about one of his great regrets is he lied to get into the service. So <clears throat> he wasn't 18 yet. But he also got in service, and he never got to finish Eagle. And he always talks about how bummed he was that he didn't finish. And what rank did you get to? Did you get Eagle? Yeah, no, 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 no. I what's what's above tenderfoot? I did not. I, I look. You know, I love scouts, uh, but I I'm I am not a person who is built to defecate in the woods. <laughs> I. I am someone who requires a flushable level of uh, removal of waste. Um, and, you know, I, I did it. I did it 
but I didn't, I didn't like that part of it. I also didn't like the part about sleeping in with the other guy and the other guy, you know, what, why, why was I always like, they're like, well, you know, we'll put him in with crazy Frank, you know, and crazy, you ever, you know, do you ever, you ever, you ever watch a, an animal crawl and you're like, no, stop crazy Frank, please. I'm making that part up. But, um, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed scout camp and I enjoyed all of our camping, but we camped often as a family, but my father, graciously would find a flushable experience for his Felix Sunder son. <laughs> that is funny. I, I love it. Uh, the other thing I had to bring up, you were in two TV shows that I love. And okay. Of course, the first one, I got an autographed picture from you as Cliff in Matlock. Oh, uh, yeah. Yes, Cliff and Matlock. What a blessing of a time. And I came to you in Mount in Hunt Valley directly from uh, Mayberry Days in North Carolina, at Mount Airy, North Carolina. I, it was very funny. I went Munsters, Matlock, Mayberry, Maryland, Munsters, Maryland, you know. Um, I was hitting all the M's. Yeah, Matlock was a heck of a great time. I Sometimes I don't want to think about how lucky I've been, you know? Because I don't, I don't, I, I, you know, I, everything's kind of worked out. Tammy and I always say, if it ends tomorrow, you know, I've done everything I've wanted to do. I've been given opportunities that I could never have dreamed of. Watching Andy Griffith as a child, could I've dreamed that I would spend three years with the guy creatively, creatively, <clears throat> not just standing next to him, but making stuff work with him. Kind of crazy. So yeah, that was pretty great. I was going to say, you you brought the com- the comedic relief into the show, you know, um, that with because you played the bumbling sort like not really a private eye, trying to do the private eye stuff, trying to do this and that. It was it was great. Yeah, I I I loved every second of it, and I lived in North Carolina, and I loved the people, and I loved the state of North Carolina. Yeah, I I don't you know. And I'll, and I'll sing Andy Griffith's praises till the day I die. Uh, he was just great. He called me before he passed away. I think he called me to say goodbye, although I didn't know he was that sick. But one assumes when someone's in their 80s, you don't know how long you're going to have them. <clears throat> and uh, I got to tell him how much I loved him. So it was very kind that he gave me that opportunity. Because he changed my life. You know, there's things that change your life. Um, he changed my life and it was all because when we met the very first time when I, you know, was doing the very first episode as a different character, I played four characters on that lot. That first time he, he and I, I don't know, something, you know, something happened where he recognized that I was the kind of actor he could trust. And I had just done no time for sergeants within a year of meeting him. And he was aware of the, of the production because it's never done. When he found out that I played Will Stockdale, I think it, it, it put me in a very small fraternity because it's a very hard part to do. And I, I think he never said it, but now that I look back at it all these years later, I think he thought, well, shit, if this guy could do Will Stockdale, he could do anything. It's a very hard part, but great part. But the character literally talks on stage for the entire play. He never steps off the stage. In Matlock, Warren Frost played your your dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. What was he like? Because, I mean, I, I know you, you and I both know War the Colossal Beast. He was in that. So we have to, he has that monster movie connection. Yeah, Warren's been around for such a long time. Great guy. I'll tell you, what, when... when uh, I went to audition a little after Matlock, a couple of years after Matlock. I went to audition for uh, Mark, his son. It's a TV show he did called Buddy Farrell. I go into the room and, hey, hey, oh, man, hey, how are you? And then I go, Mark, I'm a little insulted that you're making me audition. He goes, why? Like, it's a joke. I'm obviously joking. I go, well, we have the same father, aren't we? Kind of like stepbrothers or half-brothers or 
and he laughed. And I mean, they gave me the part before I walked out the door, but you know, these things work out good sometimes. Uh, yeah. Warren was a terrific actor, terrific comedian. And had people were convinced that they hated each other, him and Andy. <laughs> it's like, no, they were actors. They didn't hate each other. But that, that just shows you the two guys doing a great job because, I mean, you, you see it all the time. People think the villain is really a villain and the good guy is really good. It's like, no, they're actors. They're they're just people. Yeah, I you know, I should have known what would eventually be. So going back 20, 20 years when we were on Nash Bridges, 25, 27 years, and they would have uh, the Internet had very nascent uh, – like inter intermingling of people and and so Nash Bridges had a page that people could write on. And I remember uh, a guy going, Rick Patina is so stupid. Why do they keep bringing him back to the show? He's such an idiot and he just drives Nash crazy. And you know, you could write back and I thought about writing, hey buddy, do you mind sending me over uh, your boss's name and address? Because I'd like to get you fired for doing your job. Like the guy's complaining and I'm doing exactly what I'm paid to do, you know, but in his mind, in his brain, he, he sees me as an impediment to the character as opposed to a comic element of the show. Not realizing that's the whole reason he have you on there. It's like ah, keeping them on there, keep them on there. It adds to it. It's it's funny, right? That's why I'm there. Exactly. Another exactly. another TV show you had um a role in, and then that ends up becoming you're in the first season, then had a reoccurring role every so often in other seasons that they did flashbacks was lost, and you were so explosive in it. <laughs> yeah, I did. I. First guy to explode on national television. Very proud of that. Very proud of that. Uh, what a what a great show that was. Nash, by the way, Nash led to Lost because it was Carlton Hughes, the same showrunner. And when they broke that character of Doctor Arts, uh, you know Carlton, I know, was you know on top of it, saying, "Hey, let's get let's see if we can get Robot to do it." I like that that they're like. This character is a complete a-hole, a jerk, and a moron. Dan Robot, right? Yeah, Dan Robot. We're all great, Dan Robot. But whatever, you know what I mean? It's funny, the, the things that I got good at playing, like playing, that's something I'm good at playing. And and it's only, you know why I'm good at playing it? Because I've watched television my whole life. So, you know, you're, you're, you're essentially playing Mr. Drysdale or... Um, like we can go to every show. There's that that character in everything who's you know these kind of archetypical villains on shows. I just figured out how to make them funny and serious at the same time. I remember we had a Nash Bridges where I was a sex addict, and uh, that was so ridiculous because that gave like. But the character, a whole nother problem to carry with them for every episode after that, you know, ridiculous. You do, you do great job with it. Obviously you wouldn't have over 250 credits if you were doing poor work. <laughs> and, and that's, you know, it's kind of a lie because that counts Matlock as one credit, not 55. And it counts Nash Bridges as one, not 17 lost, not eight, you know? So between that and I did a, TV show for a Catholic channel in Brooklyn. We did 188 episodes of a show called Classic. Well, well over 500 movies and TV episodes. Crazy. Who would have thought? And I'm Who would have thought that you know, dressing up as Dracula when he's 11, 12, you know, that's where he'd end up. But that was God's plan. It definitely was. And I want to thank you for taking time with me. Do you have anything coming up in um, November, December that you want to talk about? I don't know, because I know your schedule has been tremendously busy. Maybe you'll actually have, I don't know, a moment of rest. <laughs> well, well, no, hopefully, I mean, you know, maybe not. Uh, look for me at Killer Theater uh, 
if you're in the New York area uh, around Halloween. Got a couple other appearances. We're going to be at Spooky Empire in Orlando in two weeks. I'm shooting some movies next week, so I won't be available. And then, uh, gosh, I've got so much stuff coming out. Uh, the movie I Can is coming out this year. And another movie, Miracle at Manchester, is coming out this year. And they're both terrific stories about uh, young young people overcoming obstacles to, to uh, make the world a better place. So I'm very lucky I'm in both those movies. Miracle at Manchester and I Can. And I'm just going to make sure people remember um, Lucky Louie and um, the Hail Mary. The Hail and Mary. people can learn more about all of that at achannelofpeace.org. And for listeners, I'll have that in the um, the show notes, the, the link right to achannelofpeace.org. So you, if you're driving and you can't write it down, just look on the Facebook notes or whatever the show notes thing. You can click and go right directly to it. Perfect. Thank you so very much. Oh, thank you. All right. Now you have a great day and your listeners a great day and, and uh, let's keep the world positive and happy. Indeed. I hope everybody enjoyed the interview. I really enjoyed talking to Mr. Roebuck and I'm looking forward to seeing him again at Monster Bash, the June 16th to the 18th for 2023. I've already made my room reservation, so I know I'll be there. I'm hoping everybody else that's listening gets a chance to come out. And enjoy that fun experience. It's one of the best conventions out there. And it's gotten even better coming up in this June. Uh, One of the things that Daniel and I talked about was his movie, Getting Grace. And we're going to end the episode in a little bit with the trailer from Getting Grace. So you get an idea what the movie is about besides what we told you in the interview part. I recommend that movie. It's, as he said, it's available on Tubi. It's also available on Amazon Prime. Um, so give it a lot watch. It's it's not a monster kid movie, but it is an excellent movie, and I recommend it. Uh, if you want to leave us feedback, please leave us feedback at diecastmoviepodcast at gmail.com or leave us a message on our Facebook page. And please, and please go to a channel of peace.org that Daniel talked about during the interview, and you can follow along with the movies that he's doing that are family friendly. Um, I enjoyed. The one I saw getting grace, I'm looking forward to seeing Lucky Louie and Hail Mary when they come out next year. So, and I think he'll be back on the show again when those movies come out so we can talk more about them. And I hope you guys just enjoy the um, episode and looking forward to hearing feedback from you. Our next episode is going to be my interview with Cortland Hall from the, of the Witch's Dungeon. I did that in June's Monster Bash, but I haven't had a chance to put it out till now. So it'll be coming out the next episode. So for those monster kids, back-to-back episodes of fun. Thanks again for listening, and feel free to share. Otherwise, we're going to go on to the trailer for Getting Grace. Grace has always had a strange way of doing things. She's a funny kid. It's extraordinary to see how her mind works. She's dealing with this better than most people at her advanced stage. She's definitely not getting any better. My first question is, have you ever seen a miracle? Grace, this is not how it's done. Hey, dig that. Destiny. Okay, where are you? See, I don't find this kind of thing funny. Where where are you? Does this coffin make me look fat? I just, I don't have time for your pranks. This is my business. I'd be more than happy to call the police. Hello, police. Thank God. I'm being held hostage in my beautiful funeral home by a bald, sickly-looking teenage girl. I just want to know what's going to happen to me. Can I ride in the hearse? Wait your turn. She is delightful. Yeah, she's a barrel of laughs, every one of them inappropriate. Where are you going, Welsha? I'm not going to fall for your tricks. It's just normalcy, Bill. Don't be afraid of being normal. Well, look who's talking. I want to believe because I believe, not because I'm afraid of dying. Teach me. Bend spoons or to believe? It's the dying that really is easy. Oh, my God. You don't choose to die. It just happens when it happens. But living right takes 
fighting and commitment and honor and all those things that are so damn hard for so many humans. I'm not strong. Not like you. What are you afraid of, Bill? Please! Well, you'll be glad to know that it's only to be until soon past. I think some people get grace, and others never will. So when I get to the other side, do you want me to contact you? How about we not get ahead of ourselves? How about we start with the other side of the table, see how that goes? <laughs>